Welcome to Conrad's Journey Through the Middle East, a podcast by the Conrad Adenauer Foundation's Syria Iraq office from Beirut, featuring discussions and analysis on contemporary political, social and economic issues in the MENA region. My name is David Abude and I'm research fellow at the Syria Iraq office. Today's topic is the US election of November 3rd and its impact on American foreign policy in the Middle East with a special focus on Iraq. Will the president-elect Joe Biden have a different approach towards Iraq than the current U.S. administration? How is Biden being perceived by the Iraqis and what might be their expectations? Further, what does Iraq's neighbor Iran expect to come? Will the U.S.-Iranian confrontation on Iraqi soil intensify or will Biden diffuse tensions on the ground? And finally, is a return to the nuclear agreement that Donald Trump left in 2018 likely? To better assess possible changes in U.S. foreign policy and the effects the new U.S. administration might have on the Middle East, I am joined today by Inna Rudolf, a research fellow at the International Center for the Study of Radicalization and Political Violence in London. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My first question for you is, what role will American foreign policy in the Middle East play in the next legislative period? Do you believe the Middle East will be a less important topic for the new U.S. government under Joe Biden now that, for instance, the COVID-19 pandemic or other domestic issues are main topics? I reckon that even though there is this sense of relief among the wider population in the Middle East after the results of the U.S. elections, I reckon that it's still unrealistic to speculate about major policy shifts regarding the U.S. Middle East policy, except for a change in, in the Iran portfolio where Biden has already signaled that he intends to return to some modified or adjusted form of the JCPOA. We can also expect that all of these Gulf states will be a bit anxious uh, regarding Biden's approach towards Iran, especially if it would be a softer approach. But while some have speculated that Biden's election has been viewed negatively or with a certain level of anxiety by decision makers in both UAE and, and Saudi Arabia, even there it would be a bit premature to expect major changes. Biden has vouched his intent to end U.S. support for, for the Saudi-led war in Yemen and also to revisit the so-called blank check of, of President Trump's administration for Saudi Arabia. But all of this has to be viewed through the prism of, of Biden's vocal commitment to a tougher line on the respect of uh, human rights in all of those countries. It's also very likely that Biden would be a bit preoccupied in the first month, and that's why a lot of decision makers in Iraq uh, legitimately fear that Iraq would uh, not be in the center of his Middle East policy. But nevertheless, Biden does see stability and, and Iraq's security, more importantly, as key for sustaining the geopolitical equilibrium and for enhancing stability and security in the wider region. He has also long-standing ties with 
a lot of Iraqi decision makers over over the course of his service as vice president. And for all of that reasons, I think that decision makers across the Middle East are awaiting his term and the formulation of his foreign policy priorities with cautious optimism. You touched upon the relations between the United States and Iran. Talking about that, might Tehran consider Biden a weak Democrat and even increase its pressure against U.S. forces in Iraq and the Iraqi government? I would say on the contrary, um, despite Biden's willingness to revive, as I said, some form of the JCPOA of the 2015 multilateral nuclear deal, the leadership in Tehran is very much aware that Biden's administration sees the JCPOA moreover as a stepping stone for further more critical and, and more sensitive negotiations regarding Iran's wider footprint in the region. Therefore, I would rather argue that the sustainability of the deal would depend on, on the one hand on Iran's general willingness to comply or, let's say, to accommodate Biden's ambitions for improving the framework of this deal. And on the other hand, on Biden's ability to mobilize across party support and endorsement for this deal, I think in a more general sense, what both sides might profit from would be an improved and, let's say, an enhanced and more robust deal that would prevent any future U.S. president or Iranian leader to, to step out of the agreement. And therefore, I think the agreement has to take on a more official character. Of course, both sides would try to introduce or maybe push forward different uh, desired amendments. The Iranian uh, regime is very much likely to expect substantial relief of, of sanctions, especially in, in the course of the ongoing COVID pandemic and, and the exacerbated economic situation in Iran. And maybe also they would try to argue with Biden to revisit the designation of the IRGC as a terrorist organization. So uh, those are two aspects that I think uh, the Iranian leadership would try to introduce within this new framework, even though from the first signals that have come from, from Tehran following the announced election results, they have been very much clear that for them it's really about the JCPOA in initial form. So on the one hand, they would not want to be seen as being pushed into a corner. And on the other hand, they are growing increasingly aware of, of the need to find some sort of a working compromise. You have mentioned the JCPOA agreement. Biden might renegotiate its terms. Further, he has left open the possibility of returning to the nuclear deal with Iran. What do you think? How will this possibly affect U.S.-Iraqi relations? And what is the likelihood that Biden will completely turn away from Trump's strategy of maximum pressure against Tehran and perhaps its Iraqi allies, that is, Iraqi militias affiliated to Iran? A lot of the tit-for-tat escalations between the U.S. and Iran have so far played out in Iraqi soil 
and Iraq has unfortunately been the battleground which had to pay the price for such escalations. Therefore, uh, one of the first moves by Biden administration in, in the course of future de-escalation uh, attempts would be to guarantee Iraq further exemptions and uh, also to accommodate Iraq's trade relations and economic relations with Iran. Iran remains a mandatory partner for Iraq. And both countries share this, this vision of having a constructive partnership. Of course, the Iraqi side has always emphasized its total rejections of, of any external attempts of interference in, in the country's domestic affairs. But the same applies also for U.S. so-called encroachments upon Iraqi sovereignty. I think that Iraq would uh, very much profit from a de-escalation between Iran and the United States. And I believe there are many reasons for Washington to enable its ally Iraq to reap the benefits of a possible de-escalation. Iraq is a country with great importance to the United States strategy in the Middle East. What scenarios are conceivable here under the new U.S. president? I think that Joe Biden's administration would be confronted with some of the inherited spoilers to more constructive U.S.-Iraq relations. To begin with, the limits of the U.S. military mandate in Iraq have constituted a controversial matter long before the commission's assassination of Quds Force Major General Qasem Soleimani and also of the PMF's late chief of staff, Abu Mahdil Mohandas. So already in, in February last year, under President Barham Saleh, there was little to no consensus regarding the widely discussed withdrawal of, of U.S. forces. So resolving this issue would definitely be uh, one of, of the main subjects of, of future uh, negotiations and also of the ongoing U.S.-Iraq uh, strategic dialogue. And we also have to remember how this all started with military campaign against units registered or, or belonging, seen as belonging to the popular mobilization forces, the so-called Hashtashabi in Iraq. This was followed by the siege of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad and ended with the unprecedented assassination of, of Major General Qasem Soleimani and, and Abu Mahdi al-Mohandas. So through all of this, Iraq has been caught in, in the crossfire between Tehran and, and Washington. And both Iraqi citizens and Iraqi politicians have been growing increasingly weary of being dealt with or, or ad addressed with only like through U.S. prism of their relations with Iran. So what we have seen so far is that even moderate politicians in Iraq have sought to refer to the strategic framework agreement with, with the U.S. They have emphasized the futility of, of the U.S. pursuing an either-or approach in terms of 
pressuring Iraq to position itself either like with the US or, or with Tehran. And I think Biden administration might be more, more likely to understand, to accommodate these nuances and also to more strongly endorse Al-Qadami to pursue Iraqi sovereignty and also to frame any future campaign of his regarding the containment of Shiite militias or, or any other armed forces outside of the control of the state as a matter of restoring the state's monopoly on violence and not a matter of satisfying U.S. external demands. You touched upon the issue that the United States is on course to draw down its troops in Iraq once again to 2,500 men by mid-January. This is also a very important topic for European countries since their security in Iraq is basically guaranteed by U.S. forces. Even with Biden as the new U.S. president, that number is unlikely to go back up, isn't it? I think it's going to be unrealistic for, for Biden to challenge this policy or the course of this policy. There has been this sustained emphasis on the importance of ending forever wars such as in Iraq and Afghanistan and of bringing the troops home. So I think that would be quite an unpopular decision to also package in front of, of a U.S. audience. On the other hand, there will be a prolonged commitment to fighting ISIS in the region as it's being seen as a challenge also to, to U.S. interests in the region. So in that terms, I think that Biden can be relied upon to proceed like with this process of downsizing the size of the troops. But I think what is more important here is how this downsizing or drawdown process is going to be packaged and, and framed. It has to be also part and embedded within the larger U.S.-Iraq strategic dialogue as it remains in the heart of constructive and mutually beneficial relationship between the two countries. And we also know how politicized the discussion on the remaining of U.S. forces in Iraq has been. In the beginning of the year, Iraqi decision makers passed on a non-binding resolution agreeing on the importance of U.S. forces to leave the country. This nevertheless leaves a lot of loophole and, and, and room for negotiation to figure out a tolerable scheme for U.S. advisors, for U.S. security staff to be involved in the Iraqi efforts of, of combating ISIS. And I think this is something where the Biden administration will focus on in future. You have mentioned earlier that Biden has already gained some expertise on Iraq in previous years. The image of the United States is very controversial in the country. Might Biden be able to help spread a different image of the United States in Iraq? And how do Iraqis perceive the new U.S. president? I think it's very important here to consider Biden's personal legacy in Iraq. He has been associated with a lot of controversial issues regarding U.S.-Iraq policy. According to policy watchers, during his time in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he supported the U.S. invasion of Iraq and the ousting of, of Saddam Hussein's regime. 
Later on, Biden was also associated with an opinion piece arguing in favor of dividing Iraq in separate autonomous regions, a Kurdish one, a Sunni one, and a Shiite one. And even though we still have to consider that Biden was not rejecting the idea of having central government, this notion of dividing Iraq has been regarded controversially among different segments of Iraqi society because there is this strong, I would say, rather cross-sectarian emphasis on on preserving Iraq's territorial integrity. Uh, He's also going to be haunted by another problem, and this is the premature uh, U.S. withdrawal that, according to many Iraqi decision-makers, enabled and created the conditions for the total collapse of Iraq's security forces in view of IS invasion of uh, Mosul. Obama has been often criticized for having delayed the provision of military assistance. So these miscalculations of Obama administration also brush off against uh, Joe Biden's popularity and credibility in Iraq. And besides his miscalculations, what are Biden's strong points when it comes to Iraq? On the other hand, he has a long-standing track record of forging alliances with the majority of Iraqi uh, opinion leaders, decision makers, and he has been also respected for his personal integrity and for decency of, of his policies by a lot of those political leaders, both Iraq's President Barham Saleh as well as uh, the Prime Minister Mustafa al-Qadami had congratulated him on the election results and have responded, as I said in the beginning, with cautious optimism that under his administration they will have the opportunity to bring the bilateral relation to another level. And also it's important to note that Joe Biden, uh, looking back at this diverse experience within Iraq's political landscape, that he would be very keen on learning from any past miscalculations and also like from any errors attributed to, to Trump's administration. So I see that Biden already has to deal with a very controversial legacy in Iraq. I would like to talk about Biden's relations with the Iraqi Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadimi. The letter said in October 2020 that Iraq is on a tightrope between U.S. and Iranian interests. Will Biden be more considerate and forthcoming towards Iraq than Trump, especially with regard to armed groups like the PMF and militias outside state control? I think the Biden administration definitely understands the long-term implications of pressuring Iraq and and squeezing Iraq in this catch-22 situation. So I think that, first of all, Biden is likely to extend an invitation to Prime Minister al-Khadami to visit Washington to continue the U.S.-Iraq strategic dialogue. And also, I think that his administration would try and, and seek to ease the pressure on al-Qadami's administration instead of confronting the prime minister with impossible choices. But this very much also depends on the conduct of Al-Qadami's administration. So far, he had been very clear in, in his communication 
of the systemic limitations to in the first hand reigning in uh, armed groups outside of the control of the state. I think that also during his uh, last visit to Washington, he was able to articulate the importance of building a US-Iraq relationship that's not just uh, viewed through the securitized dimension of these relations. And also, like I think that any mutually beneficial relationship with the US should be based on US respect for Iraqi sovereignty and neutrality with regards to any future disputes between Iran and the US. To begin with, it would be very unrealistic to expect Al-Qadami to succeed in an unprecedented uh, period of time in uh, reimposing or restoring the state's monopoly on the use of force and in reigning in all sorts of undisciplined or, or rogue militia-like elements. Here I would uh, like to point out Al-Qadami's current strategy vis-a-vis -vis the popular mobilization unit. So for example, what he has been trying to achieve was to mobilize wider support from within the PMU paramilitary umbrella in order to secure his back and to secure wider backing for his efforts in, in reigning in undisciplined militia-like elements. During a visit to the PMU's headquarters, for example, he also signaled that the, PMU, the PMF provided their compliance with Iraq's formal chain of command are to preserve their status as a state-sanctioned security agency, something that can be seen as a huge asset for those within the PMU who wants to preserve a, a working relationship with the Iraqi bureaucracy. So for that reason, I think that we can be hopeful on the one hand in terms of Biden's accumulated understanding of the complex social, economic and political transactions underlying Iraq's post-conflict economy. And on the other hand, in terms of Al-Qadami's realism and his quite sober and balanced approach of addressing the current security challenges in the country. Given this complex situation, how can Biden perhaps support Al-Qadimi to rein in these Iranian-backed militias? And how will Iran's Iraqi militias possibly react to the new US president? Might they be more open to Biden and even agree to certain concessions? Joe Biden's administration had the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of pushing for ill-timed escalations, such as in the case of the targeted assassination of uh, General Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Mohandas. So as we saw in Iraq, this assassination has emboldened a lot of the resistance-leaning factions to engage in a lot of provocative uh, military actions without even risking their formal connection to the PMU commission. So with varying degrees of plausible deniability, these Iran-aligned formations, for example, sought to support renegades offshoots to fight their battles. And these smaller formations with no formal link to the popular mobilization units, such as Osbat al in the so-called 
League of the Revolutionaries or Thar al-Mohandes, the Revenge of Mohandes, have so far launched attacks on U.S. diplomatic facilities and have single-handedly challenged Iraq's official foreign policy line. And what's more worrying is that this approach has allowed actors such as Kataib Hezbollah to sustain their entrenchments of the PMU umbrella and on the other hand, like not to abandon their commitment to the resistance cause. One cause for optimism is that their influence within the country and even within the PMU is not unlimited, it's not absolute. All of these armed formations under um, Joe Biden's administration will continue to search for a face-saving option. They, they realize that uh, a maneuver um, such as the threatened closure of the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad would be game-changing and also would jeopardize their long-term interests. Therefore, I personally see an opening or, or a window of opportunity to engage in a constructive, forward-looking discussion with Iraqi decision-makers currently designing a roadmap for security sector reform. So I would say that both Joe Biden as well as Al-Qadami would maybe carefully weigh their, weigh their options for enabling a comprehensive security sector reform in Iraq that would uh, limit the destructive footprint of any armed non-state groups challenging the state's monopoly on violence. Thanks for closing on such a hopeful note. We have to leave things here for today, but we will be continuing watching the situation in Iraq closely. Thanks to you, Inna, for being with us and for sharing with us your expertise on Iraq and discussing possible developments in American-Iraqi relations under the new U.S. President Joe Biden. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks as well to our audience for listening in today. We will see you again soon with a special on the Arab Spring in Syria and Iraq. Stay tuned on the topics and please follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at Cas Syria Iraq.